Today our text comes to us from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. It's the account of the Magi. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod before Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. As I said at the beginning of the service today, we start a brand new message series, Understanding and Learning, giving the opportunity to discover the heart of God. Now, to know the heart of somebody is different than just knowing a few things about them. Chances are there are several people in your life that you understand a few details about them. Sometimes we assume too much about what we know. Sometimes we know a lot less than we think we know. But probably there's a few select people that you truly know their heart. Like you really know who they are at their core. Right, to know somebody at their heart level is probably because you've lived with through them some difficulties, some joys, and you have this great big context in which you understand who they are. You know what they struggle with, you know what they celebrate, you get them, right? It's my heart for you in this season of Epiphany that you would allow God to reveal himself to you, that you would see and know the heart of God. Not just a few details, not some cool trivia facts, but the heart of who he is. What's important to him? How he responds, how he loves you. And today, as we take our first step into that, we have the celebration of Epiphany, when the Magi come to visit Jesus, and we get this glimpse, not just of one king, but two kings. And we see the heart of two separate kings. We see the heart of Herod, and we see the heart of God in the heart of the king of Jesus. So let's dig into it. Now, Matthew has this really interesting phrase that he uses over and over again. It's, it's familiar to you. It's the kingdom of God. Matthew loves to talk about the kingdom of God. And here at St. Luke's, in our context, we understand the kingdom of God is the world put right. Right? Because this world is broken, it's damaged, it's shattered, but God is in the process of putting things bit by bit 
as he brings his kingdom together, making the world right, and ultimately when he comes back and returns, then everything that's wrong will ultimately be made right. All the wrong will be undone and made good again. But when we talk about the kingdom of God in Matthew, sometimes it's easy to envision or imagine the kingdom of God as a location, like a place, like you could ask Siri, and Siri would magically tell you how to arrive to the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not a location. It's not a place. It's more of a, a verb than a noun. It's an action word. The king of God is the, the, the kingdom of God is more along the idea of this reign of God, the, if you will, kinging of Jesus in this world and in your life and in my life. It's this action thing that God does through Jesus to restore and repair the brokenness of this world. That's the kingdom of God. And as, as Matthew talks about the kingdom of God, as Jesus preaches and teaches about the kingdom of God, that's what he's talking about, this reigning of God, that God is actively right now reigning in your life. The kingdom of God. So let's take a deeper look at this king and his heart who reigns in our lives. I want you to know first and foremost today that the King Jesus, his heart is to reach out beyond boundaries and borders. The heart of a king reaches out beyond boundaries and borders. Now, in this particular time when Jesus was born in Bethlehem in, in Judea, just a few miles north of Bethlehem, you find Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, where, where you have the temple and all the religious leaders. You have the palace and, and, and King Herod. You've got this incredible seat of power. And all of the mighty politicians and all of the mighty religious leaders missed it. They had no idea that the king of the world, Jesus Christ, has just been born in Bethlehem. And so God, in his grace and his mercy, he goes across boundaries and borders to reach deep into the lives of some very unlikely people to share his good news with. Now, these people who come to visit Jesus on Epiphany are not kings. There's not three of them. I guess there may have been three. We just don't know how many there were. We assume three because there's three gifts. And obviously, you can only hold one at a time, right? One guy held gold. One guy held frankincense. One guy held myrrh. They must have been three. We don't know how many there were. We know they weren't kings. The, the Greek text uses this word magi. Magi, it's not too hard for you to understand that the English word we use is magic. Right? So these were magicians. These were people who, who looked at the stars. They, they performed interesting magic tricks for their, their kings and rulers. And in Babylon, which is more than likely where this group of magi were from, uh, in Babylon, this was this place where hundreds of years ago, during Daniel the prophet's time, Babylonians came and captured Israel and brought Israelites back with them into Babylon. And so in that journey of captivity, they carried with them all of their culture, their heritage, their tradition, their God. Right? And so now you have this guy named Daniel, this prophet Daniel, who's in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, Baghdad area. 
And the king has this dream, and the king wants his dream interpreted, and so the king, when he wants his dream interpreted, does what the king always does. He gathers together his magi, his magicians. I want you to tell me, if you are really good, you're going to tell me what my dream was. I'm not going to tell you. You tell me what my dream was, and then you tell me what it means. They're like, we can't do that. We don't have that kind of power. And so in his fury, the king says, well, you are all sentenced to death. All of my magi, dead. And, and Daniel steps forward. And he says, give me a day. Let me go talk to my God, the true God, the God of Israel. Let me go talk to him and see if he might tell me your dream. And then tell me what your dream means. And I'll share that with you. And the king gives him a day. And that's exactly what happens. God tells the prophet Daniel what the dream of the king was, and Daniel goes and shares the interpretation with the king, and the king is amazed. He's so amazed that he, he cancels the punishment for the magi. Now, I've never had a death sentence. I don't imagine many of you have. But to have one and then have it erased. Right? They were more than happy. They were beyond happy. They were They were amazed at what Daniel was capable of doing. And it's not too hard to imagine that in the midst of that, they wanted to know more about this God that Daniel believed in. Now, being the fact that Israelites had carried with them their, their text, their, their scripture, their idea of God, the God of Israel, Isaac and Jacob and Abraham, that these magi would study it and learn it. And to know of a promise that there would be a star. And they searched the skies, hungry and ready for this God who somehow told this prophet Daniel everything that they wished they could have known would be born and walk this earth. They wanted to see. They waited and they yearned. And so they told their sons and daughters and they told their sons and daughters and generations hundreds of years later, we have these magi who see the star promise. And they gather their things, they gather their gifts, and they go see this king. And when you go into a neighboring country, you don't just go kind of mismatch wherever cities you want to go to. First, you go to the capital. That's where you go. You go to the boss, and you say to Herod, um, I know you're the king of the Jews, but there's an actual king of the Jews. Now, Herod doesn't take this news too well. In fact, he takes it very poorly. Because Herod knows that he has no real claim to the king. The Romans, they made him king of the Jews. He's not even a Jew. He's, an, he's, he's from Edom. He's an Edomite, not a Jew. He has no tie to the, to the family of David. He has no lineage that ties him to the throne. And so he's very, very protective and easily irritated and very fearful and very angry. And in this moment, our text says that Harold was Harold. I said that at the 930. If anybody here is named Harold, my apologies. You're probably not like Herod. Herod is troubled. And when you have a troubled leader 
who becomes troubled even more. The country is scared. Right? Now, when this text said, and all of Israel was troubled with him, doesn't mean that Israel heard the news that Jesus has been born, and now they're troubled. Israel is troubled because Herod is troubled. For those of you who understand this axiom, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If Herod is not happy, none of Israel is safe because this man is capable of anything to preserve and protect his throne and his kingdom. And so God goes beyond these borders of these religious leaders and politicians who missed it entirely, and he goes over to Babylon, of all places, to reveal the fact that Jesus has been born. See, our God goes through any length to make sure that his message gets to exactly who he wants it to be heard from. The heart of a king goes beyond borders and boundaries in order to share and reflect who he is. The heart of a king brings peace instead of trouble. Like Herod was one to bring trouble into his kingdom. If he had any threat to his throne, he would kill it. He would even raise up his own children into places of power and authority, then sit back. And instead of like being proud of his kids, he was threatened by them and he would put them down. I mean like a veterinarian would put an animal down. He brought trouble. The heart of a true king, the heart of a real king, the heart of our king is not to bring trouble to his people, but to bring peace in the midst of troubles. I'm not sure exactly what kind of troubles you're facing today. Maybe what kind of troubles you've imported into this year from last year, what kind of troubles you're facing today, what kind of troubles you fear tomorrow. But I want to know this true fact, that you have a king who desires to bring peace in the midst of your troubles. Jesus does not give us the promise that he will take away all of our problems, make all of our problems go away. That's not the kind of king we have. We have the kind of king that says, I know you have troubles and I will sit with you in them. I will be with you always. I will give you the peace and the perseverance and the strength and the wisdom that you require to survive these troubles and to be made stronger by them, to be shaped into the men and women I desire you to become. That is the kind of love that our King has for us, to bring us peace. Not like a wicked ruler, but as our text says, like a shepherd. That shepherd that we can walk in the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, that we can know that our Lord, our good shepherd, prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that in the midst of the troubles of our life, we can have peace because the king is reigning among us. And in the heart of a king, in addition to knowing no boundaries and exceeding boundaries, and, and in addition to bringing peace in the midst of our trouble, the heart of a king is also transparent and not hidden. See, the heart of King Herod was very hidden. When he at first had this quandary of, of what on earth has happened, who is this king of the Jews who has come to threaten my reign and rule, he calls together just a few select people chief priests and scribes to come tell him. He doesn't invite the entire Sanhedrin, which is made up all of the religious leaders, lay and professional church workers all together to come and discuss this. He just picks his select few people. And then when he devises his evil plan, he invites the wise men, the, the, the magi back into his presence quietly and secretly. 
and his motivations are kept in private and secret as he shares with them. Sometimes maybe we're guilty of doing the same things, of doing things in secret or in private. Right? As, as your pastor, it's not uncommon for me to receive an email or a phone call and a spouse is sharing with me just distraught what's happening in their marriage, but nobody knows. We can't share or tell anybody else. I'm at my wit's end, I don't know what to do. And so that you know my heart, my heart is that this would be a safe place where you can come and be open about that. Be honest about the difficulties and the troubles that are in your world because folks, we have a real God who desires to reveal his heart to you in the midst of your very real problems and bring solutions that actually matter. But the enemy doesn't want that. The enemy wants you to be quiet. The enemy wants you to be stuck in your secrets. The enemy wants you to keep those in private because he knows that if you believe the lie that nobody else understands what it's like to be doing what you're doing, nobody knows what it's like to encounter the fears that you have, nobody knows, and if they did, they would leave. And if the church knew, it would reject and judge. That's the voice of the enemy. And the voice of the king is to say, let's get it out. Share it with God. Share it with someone in faith and receive healing. Receive his grace. Receive renewal. That's what the church is for. To be deliverers of God's grace into this broken world and establish the reign of King Jesus. Not in secret. That's the heart of a king. To exceed boundaries, to bring peace instead of trouble, and to be transparent and real. Now the Magi, they give us three great things to do when you come into the presence of the heart of the king. You interact with this heart, and they became so overwhelmed, they did three things. They saw the king, they fell down and worshipped, and they gave their treasures. Anytime you hear in the New Testament especially, see, the word S-E-E, it doesn't just mean to observe ocularly, to see with your eyeballs. It means to get it, to understand, to know. They saw the king. They knew not everything about who this Jesus would be and what he would do, but they understood that this was the king of the Jews. God desires that for you today, to see and know who he is, to know his heart, his great love for you, to redeem and restore you, to call you his own, to get it. Here at St. Luke's, we call that to have your heart awakened to the power of life in Christ. And then they fell and they worshiped. They worshiped this new king. Now that to me sounds kind of weird, right? Because I'm not worshiping any king. I don't want to worship any, any political leaders. You will not find me. This is an election year, so here we go. Here's the one thing I'm going to say about election all year long, maybe. I will not worship Biden. I will not worship Trump. I will not worship any political leader, period. I worship Jesus and Jesus alone. 
do not ever let me catch you worshiping a pastor or a religious leader. Give me time, I will disappoint you. That's not a joke, that's actually real. Don't ever worship any person because there is only one king, only one king who is worthy of all of our glory and honor and worship and adoration and praise and thanksgiving, and that is Jesus. Now, as I say that, I'm standing up here as an enormous hypocrite because I worship things other than Jesus. Fall is my uh, weakness because fall um, coincides with college football. And if I'm honest, I do a little bit of worship with time and energy and attention and focus and learning and reading and watching and money and everything involved with Kansas State Wildcat football. Now, I do say that with a lot of care in my heart that I want to make sure that I do less of that than I do of Jesus, right? That Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. Chris Kleinman, as great of a head coach as he is, does not have the capacity to forgive my sins. Only Jesus does. They fell and they worshiped. They saw the king, they fell and they worshiped, they gave their treasures. Now sometimes when you hear a church talk about how you should do stewardship or how you should tithe or how you should give your money, they talk about time and treasure and and talents, right? And those are three great ways to kind of have a a holistic view of what it means to give your treasures to God. But uh, we want to start acquainting you with this new term. The term is life. It's pretty easy to remember, life. How are you letting the King Jesus shape your life. And life is an acronym that stands for labor, your work, how does the work that you do, your vocation, your job, your work, the roles that you play, how does that build up the kingdom of God? The I, the influence that you have, the people that you connect with, the, the roles and responsibilities that you have, does that give you an avenue to speak into people's lives? That's the I, influence, labor, influence, finances. That's kind of the easy one to talk about, the hard one to do, right? Because in order to sacrifice your your finances to God, you have to get to this place where you recognize and realize that you can, as generous as you may be, can never outgive God. God will always, always outgive you. But he says, just try me. See what happens if you try to outgive me. See what I will do. It's impossible. And then E, your expertise. The things that you are really, really good at, or maybe just the things you're competent with. But the gifts and the abilities that God has given you, your talents, how do you wrap those into building up the kingdom of God? Your labor, your influence, your finances, and your expertise. Let that be a treasure that you give to God this year.